Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now we look at much happening perhaps around our life or maybe in the world and we, we're trying to figure out how does this conform to the purpose of God's will. And if you don't have those questions on a pretty regular basis, then maybe you're a better Christian than I am. Or maybe you just don't think about such things. But I, I, I find myself and I hear about and see and experience things, and I'm wondering, how does this really work into the overall plan of God? Those of us who have taken on the mark of the beast by having multiple Apple products in our house, and I do trust that that is not the mark of the beast, I'm just telling you. But even the packaging portends something wonderful. Come on, now, ladies, you may not understand this. You know, but with you, it's the jewelry box and the box and the box. And you, but with men, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a religious experience to open an apple box with the new toy on the inside. And the guys at Cupertino have worked very, very hard at making every part of the apple experience just that, an experience, including the box. And so you... You open it up, and it's, you know, this opens and this does. It's wonderful. And then you have the apple box. And it, has anyone in, in here ever felt a pang of guilt about throwing the apple box away? I mean, don't, don't you almost feel like it's something of value that you should maybe hang on to? I, I might need this, or maybe for much as I paid for this toy, maybe I should display this or suitable for framing or something. But as you're pondering the box after the fact, you'll find some small print that says this, designed in California, made in China. It's there. Designed in California, made in China. And I want to take that same phrase and turn it around today for this message I've entitled Designed in heaven, made on earth. Designed in heaven, made on earth. Reading down in the book of Ephesians into the second chapter, verse 10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, we find two parts of what makes this work. The design part and the delivery part. You can have great design, but if the design doesn't deliver, it doesn't really work. And in this passage, we find both. We are God's workmanship, design, created in Christ Jesus, design to do good works, delivery, which God prepared design for us to do, delivery. But that delivery is only possible through revelation, recognition, and response to his design. Something has to happen with you and I. 
And then obedience by conformity to his purpose and his person. And then by means of spirit-directed sanctification and human-assisted discipleship. This is, this is how we marry God's divine design in our lives with the delivery of God's purposes through our lives. Luke 1, and I realize I'm a couple of months early because it's not Christmas yet. But let's take a look at an extraordinarily designed woman. Just for a second, Mary. You know the story well. You've heard it. But here's a young woman that God designed for an extraordinary thing. I mean, she was young. She was a virgin. She was positioned. There was, as far as a human could be righteous, there was a righteousness whereby which God could choose to use her for something extraordinary. Angel came, began to declare to her, fear struck this woman. What have I done wrong? Is this what it's the last thing I see before I die? The angel says, nope, God has found you highly favored. And then he begins to give her this amazing, this amazing task. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And her response, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary was called to something extraordinary. Something that no other woman on the planet has ever been called to do. Divinely conceived and give birth to the God-man known as Jesus. Now, we don't worship Mary. Please hear me. Extraordinary woman that God had to do an extraordinary thing. But we don't worship her. And yet, let me ask you about your life and mine right now. What if God has not called you and me to the extraordinary, but to the obedient, spirit-filled, ordinary? What if destiny is not out there? What if destiny is not a destination? But what if destiny is really just divine DNA? Our design waiting for our response. What if, and this will really depress you. What if the life you're living is the one he's custom designed for you? Someone say, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm here for a happy message about the rapture. I'm here for a happy message about how to move from working for Pharaoh to moving for somebody. I'm here for movement, rapture, move, get me out. But what if the life you're living today is custom designed by God himself? Now, I didn't say it was your idea of the perfect life. I didn't say it was the ideal life of how you've crafted it in your mind or perhaps how Wall Street or Madison Avenue has crafted it in our imagination. But I'm talking about the life you're living today. What if, what if for a moment, this is the life God intended for you? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us Everything we need 
There it is. That's pretty complete. Everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, this all begins the same way everything else begins, our knowledge of him. This is the starting point. My message last week, Plastic Jesus. Not the God that we've crafted out of our imagination and our expectation, but the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of Scripture. But it begins with our knowledge of Him. And then it says our participation of His divine nature. Not just the fact that we admire it from a distance, but our participation with it. And it's not just our participation of His promises, which we all want. But it begins by a participation of his person. And the byproduct, <clears throat> escaping the corruption of the world. That's not, a bad, that's not a bad byproduct, is it? You see, if we'll get busy doing God's will, we won't have to spend so much time in denying God's will through sin. And even in the mundane, the details... There's a larger kingdom plan that's always being worked through our lives, although we may not be aware of it at the moment. How many of you can look back at some segment of your life that was seemingly so difficult or you were so buried in the mundane and the details of life, you could barely find God, but you look back five or ten years later and you see God was there the entire time. He was working something in you, through you, out of you. He was showing up in ways that he would never have shown up before. And yet many times, if you're like I am, I'm just praying, I'm just praying for a way out. Not for a way through, not for revelation of, of his presence in the moment. I'm just looking for out. Because it's ouch, ouch and out. That's all I know. Many of us are exactly the same way. But consider the mundane for a moment. Rachel. A shepherdess. Now, I can't think of anything more mundane than sheep. I mean, think about it. All right, sheep, move here. Eat here. Drink here. Fox, go away. All right, sheep, move over here. Eat here. Water here. I mean, in and out. I mean, there's not a lot of lively conversation going on with the livestock. You with me? And so in this one moment, though, Rachel shows up at the well to water these sheep. Who happens to be there? Jacob. Jacob, her husband, in the midst of the mundane. Ruth, just out there gleaning, just trying to keep body and soul together for she and her mother-in-law. But of all the fields for her to go glean in, whose field did she wind up in? Boaz's. Boaz winds up becoming what? Ruth's husband. And their child, the grandfather of David. I mean... From a shepherd to gleaning in the field. Just ordinary folk just doing ordinary things. That God changed into something extraordinary. And yet, how many times, I mean, you and I, come on, we live in the United States. We want the big thing. 
I mean, we want to go to McDonald's or we want to go to Starbucks and we want the new thing. We want the big thing. We want the Big Mac with four patties instead of two. The really Big Mac. We want to be shocked. We want to be in awe at the new thing. I mean, we want this to be the next iPhone plus plus. Hello. We love it. But it's in the details, and it's that which most people never see. Is where most of the kingdom gets worked in and expressed through our lives. How we love our wives, how we treat our children, how we pay our bills on time, how we obey the traffic laws. Oh, Jesus wept. (laughs) How we respond to our employers. Spurgeon says it this way, it's sweet to give or do simply to please him without respect to the public eye. You realize that everything in this life that you do is going to require faith. You know, I've tried to do life based on principles. I really have. Do the right principle and get the corresponding promise that comes out on the other end. Principle, promise, principle, promise, principle, promise. How many of you know it doesn't work exactly like that all the time? Somewhere, there's this little thing called faith that says the righteous will live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God will put just enough stuff out there in the normal course of our ordinary lives whereby which it's going to take faith to navigate. Not just faith to make it move so we can get out of it, but faith to navigate in the moment. And I tell you, I'm a principal guy. I've got enough left brain. Give me the principle. I will work it until the day's end. But you see, God will never let himself be reduced to just that. Faith is just the New Testament concept of the Old Testament word of trust. Do we really trust his person that God would do what he said? He would do faith. And it's faith not just for the next big thing. Sometimes we think that we keep faith in reserve for that big thing that I'm going to do, that business that I'm going to start, the church that I'm going to be a part of planning, that camp, whatever the big thing is in our mind. And yet God says, without faith today, it's impossible to please me. Do you realize that even The custom design today of your life, God has factored in faith for you to be able to live it. It's not just a matter of discovering it. God says, I'm going to put just enough little twists and turns and janks in the way that it's going to require faith to be able to navigate that which I've set forth. See, many times we simply call that the enemy, don't we? Well, God, I'm in your will. I'm in the place where you call me to be. Why are these things there? Because I'm working something about me into the equation. Consider the two central figures in the New Testament, Jesus and Paul. But if you look at what prefaces both of these figures, you'll find some pretty three pretty unremarkable figures. Luke 2, we find... A man named Simeon. 
Scripture says, moved by the Spirit, he would go into the temple courts. God had promised him that he would not die until he had seen, he'd seen the Messiah. This young couple bring their son to be dedicated. And this old man comes walking up to them and takes the child and begins to prophesy. He's seen what God has promised him. A few verses later, we, we see the account of Anna, widow for many decades, said she never left the temple, praying and fasting day and night. And she came up at the same time and began to speak over this child. And yet, that's all we ever hear about Simeon and Anna. That's it. We move over to Acts 9. We see a man named Ananias. One account, one thing that he did. Revelation came to him. Vision came. There's a guy on Straight Street. That's very hard to say, by the way. His name is Saul of Tarsus. And then it's like, whoa, whoa, heard of this guy? He's a bad, nope, uh-uh. You go. Ananias went in response to this revelation, laid hands on him. Paul's, Saul's eyes were open in that instant. And yet in all three of these cases, all three, Simeon, Anna, Ananias, all they did was pray. Just pray. Ordinary. Just ordinary stuff. But in the design, listen to this, of both finding, fitting, and flowing in the design of how God has made us, let me submit to you today, it's our highest act of worship. Now, yes, what we do on Sunday, it's important. Our giving, our tithing, our serving, those both in and out of the house, all of those can be acts of worship. But let me say to you, how many of us are looking around and saying, I sure wish I were more of this and less of this. I wish that I were that person over there. We all love heroes for the same reason. We'd like to don a cape and we'd like to be a hero just for a moment. I'd like to have his money. I'd like to get inserted into his life just to feel like what it would be, what it would be like to be worth all that money. I sure wish that I, I were more, I were, I were less. And in so doing, that's why Scripture says that it's not wise to compare ourselves one to the next. Because what happens, we begin to despise our own design. And in despising our design, what we're ultimately saying to God is you made a mess. You made a mistake. You made me defective. These billions of codes, of strands of DNA that make up my fingerprint of who I am, you messed up. I recently took another one of these, well, strength finders again. And I didn't come up with the top five things I wanted to come up with. Have you ever taken one of these psychological profile kind of things, strength finder? And you think that, you know, you want certain things to line out or you think this is where certain things are going to be. And I got, I got real kind of disillusioned. I'm like, I'm not sure I want to be this. I'm going to take it again. And so you continue to take it until you finally can skew the responses to get the answer that you want so you can feel real good about yourself. No one else is as insecure as I am, but just trust me, this is how. And so I looked at this and I began to realize it's exactly who you are. So why are you fighting against this design? Because what you're ultimately saying is that God messed up with you. 
is that this doesn't fit the profile of who you think you should be at this particular moment in your life. And let me say this. This is one of the primary ways that we get damaged is whenever you try to operate something beyond its intended design, you mess it up. You put your car in first gear, those of you that have a manual transmission, which is the way God made a car. (laughs) And you can put it in first gear and try to keep up on 66, and that other little dial that has the little red part over on the right-hand side, your car will get very loud. And it will run for a moment until finally your engine says, I'm done. Goodbye. You're going to walk now. (laughs) It's called redlining for a reason. And you see men and women who are working and they're redlining their life, trying to operate against the design that God has made them. Whether it's men trying to be women or women trying to be men. Uh Uh-oh, I didn't say that. Whatever, the, whatever it is, and then invariably we wind up damaging ourselves and the collateral damage of the people around us. Our spouse, our children, our friends, our co-workers, those four people that follow you on Twitter, every, and all that, all that misery that is around your life of, I don't like me, God, you made a mistake. Because you're trying to operate beyond your design. Hmm. And in the U.S., the great drug today, it's fame. It's recognition. Look at me. I mean, everything is about a competition today. Julia Child would get whooped on Iron Chef. I mean, Julia, who invented, come on, she invented the genre, Food Network, the whole thing. Save the liver. You remember, Julia? (laughs) Use more butter. You remember? Wonderful little lady who had no idea she was revolutionizing how to cook. She would get wiped up on Iron Chef. My mama would get wiped up on Iron Chef. But trust me, I'd rather eat her fried chicken than anybody else's on the planet, rather than, other than my wife's, of course. <laughs> hey, 36 years of marriage has taught me something. Let me just tell you, I may look stupid, but I ain't that stupid. <laughs> my mother would never survive in a competition setting of cooking, but that woman can throw down in the kitchen. Let me just tell you. And yet, we've got to win at something. Everything is a competition now because we need the fame. We need followers. We need, come on, you know what I'm talking about. And the confusion comes between prominence and significance. That we think that if we're prominent, we'll be significant. But how many of you know it doesn't work? That That prominence many times is not born so much out of our competence as it is our insecurity for somebody to see that which we're doing so that we can feel better about ourselves. I won! Woo! Look at me! 
I've got ambition. It's good. Hungry. But let's biblically define ambition for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Let's just read the Bible. Make it your ambition. That's a pretty clean apologetic. Make it your ambition. Here we go. To live a quiet life. Huh? What? what? To mind your own business. Huh? And to work. To work. In this case, with your hands as we told you. This means be productive. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. This is not the big thing. This is not the big meeting. This is not the big crusade. This is not the big thing. This is the ordinary of life. Where people can see the kingdom being worked out. And let me say this. Any life lived to God's design is extraordinary. Because it's uniquely his gift to you. Any life lived to God's design is extraordinary because it's his gift to you. Do you really view that life, that design as God's unique fingerprint and his gift? Or do we treat this moment as a curse, something to be rebuked, something that if we can just blink our eyes, we can get through this unscathed somehow? Hmm. C.S. Lewis, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. And that designed in heaven and made on earth, it's not a one-size-fit-all. It's unique. It's yours. And yet so many times, everything in the culture wants everything to look alike. Why? Because it's cheaper to produce and easier to manage. And yet, God, even in the creation, God made them male, female, some that flew, some that swam. The amazing diversity in His creation is reflected in His highest creation. And that is you and me, fearfully and wonderfully made. There it is. But for us to live according to design is going to require a catalyst called courage. And many of us don't have the courage to live the life that God has designed for us. And that's, that's, that's not a statement. That's not a, a smackdown or a throwdown or anything else. It's just that catalyst becomes, courage becomes a catalyst to release faith, to release the Holy Ghost in our life. I mean, the first time that you operated in the spiritual gift, it took some courage for you to open your mouth. And whether it was to speak in a heavenly tongue or prophesy or the first time you went up and laid hands on the sick, believing God that they would recover, guess what it took? Courage for you to step up and believe God will meet me in this vulnerable moment. And it will take courage for you to live the life that God has created for you. 
We've got to learn to accept the distinction and embrace the differences. That the differences are not defects. They're not defects. We've got to move beyond the fear of man. What is some, What will they think? Who cares what they think? Once again, you've only got seven people that follow you on Facebook. Your mama and your cousins, don't worry about it. They already think you're crazy. Proverbs says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. Isn't that the truth? There's going to be a countercultural element. I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm not talking about individuality for the sake of just being sociopathic. That's not what I'm talking about. But as the world goes in this direction, then God's people are always headed in an opposite direction. And to have a truly authentic life, parts of it are going to be lived alone and alone with God. No one understands me. Well, maybe you're just weird and you're a sociopath. Maybe you need a tic-tac. But you know, I've been married to the same woman for, for a long time. And sometimes we just... And, and you know, you learn after a while not to say it. But my neck and my head give me away. Now, I didn't say anything, but my body language is screaming, What? I do not understand you. And she looks over and like, I do not understand you. And this is in the context of 36 years of the most intimate relationship that God gives to human beings in covenantal marriage that you can still say, I don't get it. I don't get it. And let me say this to you. Most people will never get you. Jesus' people never got him. Paul never had a tribe. They didn't know what to do with him. And if we could get all the understanding and affirmation that we needed horizontally, our need for God would be very low. But because the designer knows every thought, every need before it's ever uttered. Why? Because he made us that way. God, did you? Yes, I knew. God, I need? I know. God, yeah, I know. So we begin to give him the USA Today highlights of our day, and God is like, I got it. It's the only relationship where God really gets you. And not only does he really get you, he likes you. That's an amazing thing. God likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He doesn't run with, here he comes again. Lord, have mercy. Let me hide behind these 24 elders. Maybe he won't, maybe he won't see me this time. He always welcomes you into his presence. I'm glad you're here. And all the misunderstanding that you've suffered at the hands of what everybody else has meted out. God's got it. He knows. He knows. Your design determined in heaven. Your life lived authentically. It's a fingerprint of God on your life. 
And you've got to guard it and protect it. I read this a few weeks back. Life is like art. You have to work hard to keep it simple and still have meaning. And if needed, you need to appropriate the faith to fight for how God has uniquely made you. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which Christ prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray.